From the Church Pension Group, this is Choose Well. Hi, my name is Krishna Dalakia, and this is Choose Well, the podcast that focuses on well-being, from maintaining physical and psychological health to being financially secure. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, mindfulness, and how we can use it to improve the quality of our lives. Our guests today are experts in the field of mindfulness and healthcare and have dedicated much of their lives teaching this practice to others. Jeffrey Zahn is an anesthesiologist and mindfulness practitioner working towards integrating mindfulness training to improve the well-being of healthcare workers. In addition, he is the author of the book Choose Happiness. Accompanying Jeff is Mickey Brown. Mickey is a registered nurse who teaches mindfulness programs for employees and faculty of the Mount Sinai Health System. Along with that, she teaches the evidence-based program Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, also known as MBSR, to groups. Mickey is the Clinical Manager for Education, Mindfulness, and Patient Well-Being at the Selikoff Centers for Occupational Health and the World Trade Center Health Program at the Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks so much for having us. I'm so excited to have both of you on this podcast, and um, I'm very lucky to have experience working with the both of you. I've known uh, Mickey for the past three years and uh, took my first mindfulness-based stress reduction course with Mickey uh, three years ago at a center in Harlem, and uh, I met Jeff last year um, when we were taking mindfulness foundations training at Brown University. Could you tell us a little bit more about what mindfulness is and also how you both got into the field? So I got into the field many years ago. It was actually through my patients. I'm a nurse with the World Trade Center Health Program and I noticed how stressed my patients were and so I wanted to be able to help them to understand that their physical and their mental health were so interrelated. And so I took my first course at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine and eventually became certified in teaching their protocol. And um, what I found was that I was told that I actually had to practice, that this wasn't going to be just for my patients. I also had to practice. And that led me to mindfulness because I could see the scientific evidence behind mindfulness. And I began studying for the mindfulness, with the mindfulness based stress reduction course at uh, University of Massachusetts at that point and now it's at Brown University. And so I often say I thank my patients for guiding me into this area and really helping me to establish a practice that has been so really powerful and profound. I, I came to this quite quite from a different route. Uh, very At a young age, in my teens, just uh, finding a way out of you know, typical classic teenage angst. I decided one day in a, in a, in a deep state that uh, I really needed to take control of my own emotional self and not let all the vagaries of my uh, friends in the world around me control how I was feeling. So I made a decision one day and stuck with that and it's served me very well throughout my life. And I practiced living that way and early on I was telling people how great it was to be in control of my own emotional state and people said I'm just repressing all sorts of you know negative feelings and I said no no really I'm, I'm noticing them and I'm choosing to look at the world a different way 
I lived this way for 40 years and then two social worker friends of mine asked me one day how I'm so happy all the time. And I said, well, I, I choose my happiness. I said that I take a different perspective on things and there's always a happier way to look at things. And we talked about it one evening for a long time and they said I, I had to write it down. So I started writing a book which ended up call, being called Choose Happiness and I published that in uh, 2014. I spent about seven years researching it. You know, I did have a day job as a, as a physician. And in the research for that, I came upon um, MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, and John Kabat-Zinn's work, and then started pursuing that in more earnest. Then the uh, Crediting uh, Council for Graduate Medical Education in Medicine, which oversees the curricula for all teaching programs, all our residents, doctors, fellows, uh, all those training programs across uh, America put into their curriculum that we had to teach our trainees, all the resident doctors, uh, wellness, well-being, care for themselves. Uh, and that was in 2017. And then at my hospital in New York City, Mount Sinai, we launched a MBSR teaching program, which uh, Mickey was the teacher at. And I took that first course in 2018. I have been pursuing it steadfastly ever since, and I'm working on my teacher certification in the field. So it sounds like for the both of you, it was a very personal, um, personal journey into the study of mindfulness and offering it to every to other people and students. I love to help people, and that's what I went into nursing for. And so my the way that I was in life was to help others but not necessarily to be filling my well so much. And mm -hmm. I'd already burned out in one um, field. And so when I came back into nursing, I really didn't want to burn out. And I will really say with such gratitude that my mindfulness practice has really kept my career alive and vibrant for many, many years, um, 19 years now. And so that's, I think, speaks for, speaks to the possibilities of practice. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people can relate to what you said about filling up your well, right? It's so easy to continue to give to others and neglect yourself. Oh, so true. And mm -hmm. it feels good to give to others, you know, so we can get yeah. kind of a little high from that. But then eventually, it's like there's nothing left. Oh, my God. So you both mentioned MBSR, um, which stands for Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that and the difference between mindfulness and MBSR? Um, so mindfulness, the actual classic definition of mindfulness um, from John Kabat-Zinn is simply being present. And he goes on to say it's in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and without judgment. And as humans, that is not our natural inclination because our mind tends to go forward, planning for tomorrow, um, or backward, remembering. And so a Harvard research study actually shows that 46.9% um, of the time, our minds are not present for what we are doing in the moment. And it goes on to show further that a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. And so even though we might be doing something very mundane, it behooves us to be present for whatever it might be, feeding the dog, washing the dishes, whatever it is. Um, and so MBSR is a course that was developed um, 
by John Kabat-Zinn in the late 70s when he was a professor at the University of Massachusetts. Um, he's a professor in molecular biology and he would talk to the doctors and say, so how many of your patients do you think that you actually are able to help? And the number 20% kept coming up. And he would say, what happens to the rest of them? And they would say, well, that, you know, we're kind of up against a wall. We do as much as we can. And so John recognized that there was a great deal of suffering um, with people with chronic medical conditions. And so he developed this mindfulness-based stress reduction, this MBSR curriculum. And then realizing at the end of the first um, group that went through the curriculum that lo and behold, their symptoms had shifted. And so those with chronic pain um, said that they felt better about their pain. Nothing had changed physiologically, but they felt better. And so John realized that he needed to do the research to validate this because in the Western world, research is important for validation of a practice that really actually has an effect. And so that began the research, which in 1982, there was one study in the medical literature. And today, Jeff, I'll let you speak to that. How many studies yeah, are there today? Uh, I, I went looking into this recently. And, and he started this in 1979, and it was slow to build. In 1999, there were 20 peer review papers on mindfulness and uh, the practices and the effects. In a decade later, there were 232. In 2009, there were 232 papers in peer-reviewed literature. Last year, in 2019, there were 1,330 peer-reviewed papers on the subject. So what are uh, some of the benefits of practicing mindfulness? So I always refer to a book called Altered Traits that was published in um, 2017, I believe. Uh, yes, 2017, and it was published by Daniel Goldman, who was the science writer for the New York Times for many years, and Richard Davidson, um, who was a neuroscientist held in very high esteem at University of Wisconsin. Uh, Richard Ritchie, as they call him, has been studying neuroscience since I think the 70s or 80s. And so the, the actually the study of consciousness. And so they poured through many, many studies, I think it was 6,000 studies, to determine the scientific rigor of each of the studies. And if they didn't determine that they upheld to a high standard of rigor, um, they kind of tossed them out. And as Richie says, many of his own studies were tossed out. And then when they really took a look at what they had, um, they felt very confident in saying that, as Jeff said earlier, um, mindfulness improves our resiliency to stress. So we're able to really be with the stressors of life. We're not trying to get rid of them. We never will. Um, but we can be with them in a different way. And the second benefit, they said, was it increases our compassionate concern for others. And I might add, for ourselves. And so we learn that others can also be suffering as well as ourselves. And we hold that with a compassionate and kind heart. And then it augments our capacity to focus and pay attention. And of course, in this world today, with so many devices and so many distractions, this is a really, uh, you know, a benefit that I hold in very high regard, um, that I can choose where to, pay my, to place my attention. It's not just the loudest bang in the room that gets my attention. And then it helps us to feel lighter and less self-focused. And so we actually operate from a different part of our brain. 
I find that it's it's so helpful that when you are in a stressful situation or a position that you can tap into things like you talked about to just really help reduce the stress in the body and the perceived stress around us, right? Just by slowing down your breathing or actually noticing and paying attention to what you're doing instead of multitasking. I always like to explain to my students, participants, that there's two different ways to practice mindfulness. And one is the formal way, and that's the meditation practice. And there's, and there's many different ways to, to meditate. We can stand, we can lay down, we can uh, walk. Um, and that's actually stabilizing our mind so that we have the capacity in an informal way to be present for our lives. And so the formal practice is simply, you've all probably seen pe people sitting in meditation and they choose an anchor and that could be their breath but for some people the breath is not always so comforting perhaps they have difficulty breathing or they're highly anxious so there's other anchors and the anchor is really something that brings stability to the mind and body because oftentimes when we come into silence we're overwhelmed with our thinking and our emotions and so just like a anchorless boat would be whipped about by the wind and the waves our mind can often be whipped about by stillness and so the anchor provides something that we can go back to and so in that formal practice of meditation we begin to know our breath with the autonomic nervous system when we're anxious it's short and shallow when we're relaxed it's usually slower and deeper um, or we can pick other anchors too such as sound um, or we can choose the touch points of our body where our, our feet are touching the floor or our backs of our legs and our buttocks are touching the chair or our, what are our hands touching and then we can also keep our eyes open and like I said nobody needs to feel that they must sit to meditate you can also stand there's even a walking meditation and so there's many different ways that we can establish this um, this balance for our mind, this uh, stability is what we're really looking for so that we notice when it's off point, when our mind is wandering and we can bring it back. And so I always like to say, it's much like going to the gym. We don't walk down the street pumping iron, but we wanna walk down the street being tall and erect and strong. And so that pumping iron allows us to be that way in our physical form. And so the practice of meditation allows our mind to achieve that stability and that strength and build that mindfulness muscle so that we can be present in the informal practices, which I think Jeff can talk a little more about. Beautiful description about uh, walking down the street, not pumping iron, and but we do it to want, you know, we want to stand, stand up straight, basically. Uh, and that, that's really the, the informal practice of this, Mickey. It's, it's sort of so simple in the moment to moment. When we notice that we're slumped and we pull our shoulders back or we suck our gut in or we open our eyes a little more, the informal practice is, is the living every day. It's the moment to moment living when we notice that we're, oh, I'm really stressed out. I'm going to relax my shoulders. I'm going to settle down. Or, oh, I'm really thirsty. I'm going to stop and pause and and take care of my body a little bit and have something to drink. 
it's the moment-to-moment living life where we notice when we're not really here. When we're walking down a street and, and we're not noticing anything, we, we're, go, and we're suddenly blocks from where we were when we last paid attention to our surroundings and we, and we bring ourselves back. It's the bringing us, ourselves back to the present moment, which is mindfulness, uh, purposefully all throughout our day. Uh, whether it's uh, using our anchors, I'm going to catch my breath, using our touch points, oh, I just feel my, feel my body in space. I'm going to look around and see where I am. This is the informal practice. This is the living it day to day, which uh, which changes ourselves. And the more we notice, which is really what the meditation practices, the formal practices are, is to let ourselves become familiar with noticing when we're not being present. Notice when our minds wander uh, and bring ourselves back to whatever our anchor is at the moment. That's bringing it out informally. We're bringing it out into the day to day. Some people have this uh, idea that in order to practice mindfulness, you know, your life has to be in a calm place or you have to have um, um, things organized in order to kind of sit and practice. And it sounds like from what you're saying, Jeff, that you could be in a state of chaos and still practice mindfulness. Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, probably the, the more important times to be practicing it. But yeah, mindfulness isn't something we step out of life and do. Mindfulness is something that we're trying to do all the time. Be, you know, we want to say what we mean. We want to be attentive to the people we're talking with. Um, we want to be paying attention to the things we're doing. That's all variations of mindfulness. It's being with the present moment in the present moment. So when people say, oh, I can't practice that, they're really generally referring to the to the formal practice but informally we could be living this all day long um, and every day no matter how, it, how chaotic our lives are finding the time to do the more formal practice which will help our living it, it helps uh, aids our informal practice that's a challenge we need to make a commitment to ourselves that this is something that we think is is beneficial to us and to those around us uh, to take uh, the time and every bit of time that we take for ourselves in this regard is uh, is valuable and uh, pays dividends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love what you just said, Jeff, about it also impacts those around us. I had somebody say to me once, um, you know, I what I know of mindfulness, it sounds very selfish. And I said, really? Why is that? And she said, well, people take time away from others so that they're just going into themselves. Um, But what I hopefully explained to that person was that that time away is so beneficial to everybody because we're in a relationship in a different way. We're not so reactive. Um, We can be more attentive to those who we have a relationship with. And so it's really that ripple effect that we've all walked into a room and somebody is in a really dour mood and somebody you know the rest of us all feel like ooh, ooh, whereas somebody's really upbeat and happy and present we feel nourished by that so it's really something that pays dividends not just for ourselves but for everybody around us how has our access or overuse of technology impacted our ability to be aware and pay attention? You know, 
technology has phenomenal benefits uh, and also great potential for distracting us. Uh, I often refer to it as, as the rabbit hole, as, as many have, of uh, looking at one page, which leads you to another page when you're either in your phone or on your computer, which leads you to another, and suddenly t a lot of time has passed and we didn't even really notice. Um, so technology can be a <clears throat> multitasking nightmare to a degree, but technology can also allow us to investigate and learn, uh, to connect with others. Uh, when used mindfully, when used with thought and awareness of how we're using our technology, uh, it can be of great benefit and provide us, bring us uh, great sustenance and peace. It's not the technology itself that is the uh, that is the problem. It's it's how we use technology, and and Mickey and I are here saying that how we use everything. If we use it a little more mindfully, perhaps we can get a little more out of it. And I often teach that when we can be intentional about how we're consuming, that can also really help us to use technology wisely. Um, and so that's an important part of mindfulness is rather than uh, wandering from one thing to the next, being very intentional about what we're doing, how we're using our time, um, because our time is precious. And do we really want to be scrolling through some app that is absolutely addictive? I've been there. But, or do we want to be more intentional about what we're taking in? Another expert that we interviewed on this podcast, Jody Horseman, um, was talking a lot about change and neuroplasticity. And she said that, you know, it's so important to, to know what you're taking in, what your diet is, right? And it's not just isolated to food, but to technology, to the news, to who's around you, who are the people around you, and how they, how are they impacting you, right? So that, in a sense, I think, you know, just having that conversation with yourself or having that thought is a really um, a practical step to invite more mindfulness into your life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Krishna. And I think the point being the neural pathways that we're, the neuroplasticity that we know that our brain changes with what we're exposing it to, what our thought patterns are. And so what are the neural pathways that we want to create? Is it of lack, of uh, uh, not enough, or is it of gratitude and presence? And mm -hmm. so whether we acknowledge it or not, these pathways are always being created. And so it's again coming back to intention. What is it? that I really want to reinforce in my life. And I can give you a short example of um, a thought that I used to always have, particularly in a Sunday evening, when um, I would look at my to-do list and I had only crossed a few things off and I'd be starting work the next week and I'd go, oh my God, here we are, Sunday evening, Monday is looming, I haven't gotten enough done. There's never enough time. Mm -hmm. And I would feel how that would really constrict my body. I would be depressed for Sunday evening. And so as my mindfulness practice took hold, um, I began to notice that thinking and recognize that it was really creating suffering in me, um, unhappiness. And so every time I noticed that thought, I would say, there is enough time. And I could feel the expansion in my body. And 
for a period of time that thought would continue to recur and each time I would say there is enough time and honestly it does not occur any longer and so it's a classic case of really erasing that neural pathway of not enough and replacing with replacing it with there is enough and so mindfulness allows us to notice our thinking and what are the thoughts that are creating our own pain and suffering that are really not necessarily true there's 24 hours in each day and we do have a choice as to how we spend them this is almost like mindfulness can be used to switch from a scarcity mentality to a mentality of gratitude intentionality is is such a key and critical part of it so much of the our time so much of my time i find that i'm not really doing what i'm doing with purpose i'm just doing things and when i notice that and i say is this what i really want to be doing or do i want to be doing something else i'm making choices i'm putting mm -hmm. control back into my life i'm giving intention to what i'm doing hmm. um so in closing uh what advice do you have to people who say they just don't have the time to meditate or practice mindfulness and their mind is too busy? It's so important to recognize that so often when we're stressed, it's our stress mindset that is talking and saying you don't have enough time. And so I will often say to my participants, you know, we've got 24 hours in each day. Do you have at least five minutes to devote to just sitting? and being with your own being, just being, not doing. Um, and so it's really a powerful question to ask. I have a doctor that I've done some work with that will often say to his patients, did you brush your teeth today? And they say, well, yeah, of course, doc. Did you take a shower today? Of course I did. And what did you do for your mind today? You can either be, even begin with, I'm gonna do three minutes, and then I'm gonna expand it to five, and then 10, but whatever. And in mindfulness also, we always are beginning again. And so notice when that judgment comes up when you missed a day and then, ah, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm just so not dependable. I just can't do this. But rather to say tomorrow is a new day and I will begin again tomorrow um, is another way to approach this. There's also a measure of having faith that this it will be beneficial for the rest of those things that I want to go do. So yeah. when I think that I am taking time out of doing other things, I reframe it for myself and um, I tell myself faithfully that I'm enhancing the time that I spend doing those other things by taking care of my own self and getting my, my, my head into the right space. I had an uh, emergency room doctor that said to prepare for her shift, she would do yoga for 20 minutes and she would sit in meditation for 15 minutes. And I complimented her and said, you know, I'm so impressed with that self-care. And she said, for me, it's essential because if I don't, I am not going to be able to be present for my patients. I will have nothing to give. And so I think when you frame it that way, um, it's the same for all of us. Um, if we're constantly emptying the well, we have nothing to give. Right. And so this can be such a powerful practice. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Theme music for our podcast is by Fran McKendry. Be sure to visit the e-learning library and learning center on cpg.org for wellness resources. And please join us again for Choose Well.
This material is not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. CPG does not provide any healthcare services and therefore cannot guarantee any results or outcomes. Always seek the advice of a healthcare professional with any questions about your personal healthcare, including diet and exercise. You've been listening to Choose Well from the Church Pension Group.